Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm Mary Caldor. I'm the co-director of the Centre for the Study of Global Governance. And I think this is going to be an extremely interesting hour that we have, just under an hour. Um, we have George Soros, who I think needs absolutely no introduction, who's an alumnus of the LSE and well-known here and always attracts a huge audience. Um, and he's going to be discussing the book by Guy Verhofstadt, who's the former Prime Minister of Belgium and the leader of the Alliance of Liberals and Democrats in the Parliamentary Group. And we're going to discuss his new book, on the financial crisis, and we have Quentin Peel here to moderate the discussion, Quentin Peel from the Financial Times. So I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion, and with that, I will hand over to Quentin Peel. Well, I won't say anything very much. Questions already? <laughs> um, uh, I always regard the job of moderator as being ill-named. I would rather see myself as an agent provocateur, which I will attempt to be. Um, but first, Guy Verhofstadt is going to give us a presentation on his book, uh, The Financial Crisis, How Europe Can Save the World. As always, a brave man to come and tell the Brits. But then the audience is not Brits, it's everybody. So, Guy, over thank to you. you. Uh, maybe, uh, first of all, uh, thank you very much, and, and I want to thank Professor Calder and the, the London School of Economics for hosting this event. And uh, it's true, I'm, I'm presenting here a book, uh, and maybe the, the, the title is not so strange as the financial crisis. The subtitle is a little bit exaggerated, maybe, How Europe Can Save the World. Uh, but in any way, uh, I think there is no better place to discuss uh, these ideas, uh, how to emerge from this crisis. Uh, and this is also the university where, where my favorite philosopher, uh, Karl Popper, uh, Sir Karl Raimund Popper, uh, to have his... Uh, uh, the complete name, lectured his famous ideas on the growth of knowledge and the open society. And uh, this conviction I have in common, I think, with George Soros. The big difference, however, is that Mr. Soros was a, a pupil from uh, uh, Popper here at the London School of Economics, and my knowledge of Popper is limited to his books. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, one of the core ideas of, of Karl Popper uh, was the need of um, piecemeal engineering. And that means that it is not possible and even not desirable uh, to change the world in one day. Uh, what we must do is uh, pushing reforms when needed, step by step, and uh, if it is necessary, without hesitation. We all know uh, what the direction of history is. Borders are disappearing, challenges become more and more global, and uh, which means that in order to tackle these uh, problems, uh, we need, uh, in these times, transnational and even global governance. And that is uh, why the world is, uh, as we know, meeting these days in Copenhagen, because only together uh, with all continents and all countries we will be able uh, to do something, for example, to the problem of global warming. And I think that the same need for transnational uh, governance apply also to the financial and economic crisis. A lot of people today think that the crisis is already over and um, the time has come back for business as usual. I think uh, this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, would be a, a fatal uh, mistake. It is not because the recession has ended 
that the recovery is already there. And that is at least, I think, the lesson we learned from Japan, because there happened almost 20 years ago, in, in fact, the same thing. In the 80s and the beginning of the 90s, there was a huge real estate bubble in Japan. You know that uh, the Japanese miracle was uh, the name we give to that. And with the value of Tokyo, they could have bought the entire real estate of the U.S. at that moment. But as Paul Groofman says, bubbles always burst, and, it, and so he did. So the biggest problem, however, was not the crisis that followed, but the lack of a proper reaction of the Japanese government. In 12 years' time, in the 90s in Japan, there were launched not more than 12 different plans and approaches. And the result of this lack of sound response was a recession that lasted for almost more than 15 years. And the Japanese couldn't only turn the tide by executing a profound cleansing of the banks and restoring trust in their economy. So, ladies and gentlemen, the question is, have we learned the lesson of the Japanese recession? Or are we facing the same Japanese winter for the years to come too? Are we formulating a transnational response, a European response to the crisis, hitting the whole of our continent, or do we react as incoherent as Japan did for more than 15 years? And the answer to these questions uh, is clear. Instead of one European approach, one European recovery plan, we have 27 national recovery plans. Instead of one way of dealing with the bank problem, we are having 27 different ways going from nationalizing, as in the UK, over guaranteeing in France, doing a little bit of everything in Belgium. And so the story about the necessary European supervision uh, is exactly the same. Uh, as you have certainly uh, seen in the press last week, the ECOFIN Council decided to implement the proposal of the La Rosière on the uh, creation and, and the reorganization of the, of the supervisory of the financial markets, but then discussed it more than five hours on how they would hide from its decisions and get opt-outs from it. So in short, our national governments are being very creative in avoiding any common strategy to emerge from the crisis, dressing themselves with a false feeling of optimism today thinking that it is better that each individual small European country is dealing with its own problems. So are they right or are they wrong? That is of course the key question. And who is better placed to answer this fundamental question than, in my point of view, the International Monetary Fund? They have made, in the beginning of this year, I think it was February, they have made an analysis of the economic situation in all different countries and an analysis of their recovery plans as well. Based on these facts, the IMF has made some predictions for the years uh, to come. And I hope that I can show you that, uh, this, uh, these figures. So what they did, uh, uh, International Monetary Fund, they put all the recovery plans in their data. So one Obama plan, one Chinese plan, and then the 27 European plans. <laughs> that has taken some time, but that is what is the outcome for, uh, 
for the International Monetary Fund. So that is 2006, I should say, uh, a normal year before the crisis, and it's economic growth almost everywhere because uh, 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 red and orange is, is growth, and uh, when you see uh, dark gray, that's recession, and when you see light gray, that's stagnation. And stagnation is between 0 and 2% of economic growth. So normal year, you see uh, a good year, 2006, orange and red. So the cores have nothing to do with the political uh, ideas. It's only, uh, uh, it's only because the IMF is uh, using that. Then we go to 2009, and there we see naturally the year of the, uh, the crisis. You see that uh, uh, almost dark gray recession, light gray stagnation, and then, and then China still with red, with some important economic growth figures. And then 2010, you see that uh, uh, some countries start to recover. Dark gray becomes gray. A number of countries are picking up, have an orange color. And then you see 2011 and 2012. You see everywhere orange and red again. Only a part of gray there. <laughs> yeah, in Western Europe, exactly data from the International Monetary Fund. What they have done, as I already said, they have put all recovery plans, Japanese one, the uh, Chinese one, the Indian, the Obama plan, and as I said, the 27. And I suppose that this picture is clear enough. The way we are working now, the way we are dealing with the financial and economic crisis is simply not good enough. 27 national recovery plans are not going to deliver recovery on this continent, and that is the reason why I have written this book with one, uh, only, with one message, in fact, that we need a single European strategy and that we cannot afford to waste this uh, crisis. So that's the reason that you find in the book a number of concrete proposals. First and foremost, uh, we must install order in our financial markets, only then will confidence and trust return, and let us be clear, in a globalized financial world, the notion of national control is absolutely absurd. Indeed, today's crisis provides ample proof that national control does not work. And that is the reason why I'm fighting right now in the European Parliament to create a single European financial supervisor. This goes further than the so-called proposals of the La Rosière, and this uh, compromise, the European Commission wants to install four new supervisory bodies, but even that compromise, as I already said, has been undermined by the last ECOFIN meeting by creating several opt-outs for the different member states. And I want to be very clear, that is not the way we shall avoid the next crisis. What we need is one, and not many, supervisory bodies. Secondly, we need to restore people's faith in our banks. I think this is essential in order to reopen the credit market. We need stress tests for Europe's top 40 banks and make results public. By keeping the results secret, like they do now, people will keep on distrusting the banks. And accidents may happen again in the near future. And with the results of these stress tests, we can finally clean the banks from their toxic products and recapitalize those who need it. And without cleansing our banks, our economy will never really revive. And that is, I think, the lesson we learned from the Japanese failure. It is the only way of averting a Japanese doomsday scenario, not to wait, as they did, until 2003 to do something 
about their banking system. And the third thing we should do is to implement a large-scale European action and investment plan. Crisis or challenges, so we must use this crisis to, I should say, transform radically our European uh, economy. The remaining question is naturally where the money will come from to finance all this. One option will be to ask it to the member states, but I don't think that is a viable option. If you see the evolution of their current deficits, fiscal deficits, for each uh, the, of these countries, they are already facing a serious uh, fiscal deficit today. Another option could be to activate pension funds where a lot of saving money is in fact waiting for investment. But another alternative is to call on the international capital market by issuing real euro bonds. Today, demand for these type of bonds is high, and we see people around the world investing in those issued by the US, not at least the Chinese. So we are allowing, I think, enormous investment opportunities to pass us by. And therefore, it is my conviction, uh, as I have written in the book, we should investigate as soon as possible how we can expand the current euro bond system without putting too much pressure on the euro itself. Naturally, which could be uh, the outcome of this. So, I come back in a few words to the last slide of the International Monetary Fund. We Europeans have a simple choice to make. Or we reconcile to the situation, no more growth for us in the years to come, enterprises closing down, jobs uh, being lost and welfare being decreased. Uh, that is, I think, the choice of more protectionism for national solutions, the choice for losing ground, or, that's the other possibility we have, uh, we believe that this continent, including this island, still has the potential uh, they had to, and to take the lead to transform our economy and to be the engine of innovation. It is a choice of moving forward, thinking forward, and preparing ourselves for the next uh, decade. So thank you very much for your presence and for your attention. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. It shows the discipline of the European Parliament. It's a very tough thing. You have to speak for three minutes in the European Parliament. Oh, don't you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Somehow it's a very good discipline. Anyway, um, I want to turn to George Soros. I must admit that I am rather attracted by the subtitle of your book. It is provocative, and I think that actually that Europe should not only get its house in order, but be the model for the wider financial markets to get their house in order and I'd rather like to hear what George Soros thinks about that because George you do think very strongly that there is need for more regulation that the problem was this was un less regulated or virtually unregulated but what's your reaction to the presentation? Well I am very much uh, in agreement in principle overall the, the framework and the starting with Popper and the whole thing uh, we are on the same wavelength, so uh, uh, however in the spirit of critical thinking I'll have to pick some differences, uh, but I, uh, the, on the broad outlines, I also agree that Europe ought to play a, a more constructive role in the world, that Europe is in fact failing to live up to the potential that it has and the responsibility it has 
to contribute to the to the evolution of a new world order because we do need a, a, a new world order because the one that we've been living with has collapsed. Uh, you know, globalization of financial markets was a market fundamentalist uh, a project, uh, and as such it was extremely successful uh, uh, because by allowing financial capital to move around freely, uh, it couldn't be taxed or regulated. So it was very favorable to financial uh, put financial capital into into a, a, a privileged position, where uh, individual governments had actually to even give preference to the requirements of international capital over the the, the interests of the of their own populations, because you can't do without capital, and if capital is allowed to move around freely, it will actually move where it is best treated. Uh, and that was a very successful uh, 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 way of promoting the interests of, 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 of financial capital. But it left us with the too big to fail problem. Well, unfortunately, the market fundamentalism is, is, is built on a false premise, namely that markets tend towards equilibrium, and if you leave uh, markets to their own devices, uh, they will uh, assure the optimum allocation of resources. That's, uh, it would be wonderful if the world was, was like that. And I had sympathy with Hayek, who was hoping that, that he sort of uh, advocated this, this, uh, this, uh, this approach. Um, and he was also right in saying that, that uh, uh, government regulation is deficient. We have to acknowledge that. However, markets are also deficient, and they don't tend towards equilibrium, and left to their own devices, uh, they, they will actually break down. And they did. And this, was, this has now been proven by this uh, collapse uh, that we have had. So the, the, the system has actually collapsed. And you have global markets, but you don't have global regulations. And you need to, it's not a question of restarting uh, uh, the system, but it is a question of reforming it. Because if you don't reform it, it will, it will not function properly. You can try to put Humpty Dumpty together, uh, but it won't, it, it won't uh, uh, work. So you do need, actually, if you want to have global markets, and I think it is desirable for many reasons uh, to have global financial markets, but you th then you need global financial regulations. And there, the process is not reversible. In other words, you can go <coughs> deregulate globally uh, because it's a, like an infectious disease. If you, if you, you can't escape it. Uh, if if uh, some of the major countries deregulate, you've got to join the crowd. So it, it, it worked. But when it comes to regulation, it, 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 the, each country has its own interests and it stands in the way of global regulation. So that's the challenge.
and I think whether we succeed is actually going to determine the future course of history. Uh, and there is an alternative to this international capitalist system that, we, that the Washington Consensus that has been uh, governing the, 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 the world financial affairs, and that's state capitalism, represented very successfully by China. And uh, it's bilateral, not multilateral. Uh, and if we don't get the multilateral system in, in order, the bilateral system will, will actually make increasing inroads. I mean, China is now the, the rising uh, uh, power. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the country for whom this crisis was an external affair. You know, uh, 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 financial crises are supposed to be, according to the efficient market theory, uh, uh, hypothesis, uh, is supposed to be due to extraneous shocks. But it, was, it wasn't an extraneous shock. It actually uh, collapsed of its own weight. But for China, it was an extraneous uh, shock. And they are in a better position to deal with it. So they are, of course, part of the uh, multilateral system. They, do, they are not opposing it. But uh, they, don't, they are not really properly co-opted. Uh, the, their representation in the IMF is minuscule, uh, and they won't do more than what their share calls for. And they are actually part of the problem, because after all, it's not just the lack of regulation in the global financial markets, but at the same time, we've had these massive global imbalances bring, building up, where a huge part of the surplus was in China. So actually, it was Chinese capital which what needed to find an outlet and fuel this explosion of the financial markets. In, 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 you, you can argue that whether it's uh, uh, the deficit or the surplus. Indeed. They're both of part the of the imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm not saying it's their fault, but they have the money I that needed the outlet. It's half true what you say. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's, that's not so bad. That's not yeah. So <laughs> How many marks would I get for that? <laughs> but uh, but passing. You should see my economics <laughs> degree. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, at any rate, uh, come back to the the European regulation model. Though no. is if Europe gets its own act together, and this is, is there a danger that Europe will be more regulated than anywhere else in the world? Uh, and therefore shoot itself in the well, foot. you do need global regulations, but uh, Europe, in a way, with uh, the common market, where countries have delegated some of their sovereignty uh, to uh, international authority, has kind of pointed the way that we need to go globally. So that's the opportunity and the challenge. Unfortunately, Europe is not living up to that. And basically, in a way, uh, we came to a parting of the road, uh, of the road uh, with the collapse of the financial system uh, when the banks needed to be uh, uh, rescued. And uh, instead of a Europe-wide re rescue, uh, 
you, each country had to do it on its own, uh, basically because uh, uh, Angela Merkel uh, uh, vetoed an, a European uh, uh, rescue uh, because it, it, it didn't want Germany to be uh, the deep pocket uh, for the profligate uh, uh, southern countries, etc. Uh, and that was a parting of, of, the, of the ways. We are now going down uh, this route, uh, and I don't see it changing. Uh, nevertheless, you do need a global, uh, I mean, at least Europe-wide and global regulation. Because the European regulation could be the model for the globe. I mean, you've got the FSB, the financial, very unfortunate name, isn't it? Financial Stability Board. Um, it's not a bad name. No, it's just the initials remind me of something else. Um, but um, and they've got a very, very tiny team there trying to put together and knock G20 heads together. But actually, I do think that that FSB is a very good base for actually even... They've been, I think, asked by the G20 to, to yeah. play that uh, role... And I think they are, they are actually, it so happens that the current membership of that board has in it the people who best understand the nature of the problem. And that's terribly important because very few people do understand it right. But Mario Draghi and, and uh, uh, Adair Turner happen to be two people quite outstanding. And just yesterday, there was this uh, uh, Wall Street uh, future, of the, uh, future of Finance uh, conference uh, where it was mainly bankers and uh, Mario Draghi was there and, and Paul Volcker and, and effectively uh, uh, the two of them told the bankers, you don't get it, you still live mm -hmm. in, in, in a world where this collapse was a nightmare that you want to forget, and you want to get back to business as usual. So th these are... And the bankers were really in denial, were they? They are. Yeah. Uh, and, and not only here, but also in, in the United States. Are the hedge funds and, in denial? Uh, well, uh, you see, less so, because, because, because uh, uh, hedge funds that uh, overstepped the mark were actually wiped out. Uh, there's a difference. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not an advocate for hedge funds as such. I'm not a, a, a lobbyist for hedge funds. But in this case, I have to argue their, uh, their, their or our uh, position. Yeah. Because, because actually, they didn't, they, uh, they are not subject to this uh, uh, too big to fail. Mm -hmm. they, they did fail. Okay. And, and so they are in a healthier position. They also have much less leverage than investment banks. I mean, a hedge fund, if it has a threefold leverage, that's probably uh, about as far as fourfold is really pushing it. Whereas uh, investment banks were 30 times leveraged. Yeah. And investment uh, and hedge funds use their own capital, which is meant to be at risk. Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, uh, investment banks use deposits which are insured. So uh, I have to say hedge funds there is a are, are... But the European side 
does want to regulate hedge funds as well. Now, do you, Guy, is that part of your, your European financial supervisor would cover the whole waterfront, yeah? Cover everything. Yeah. So, but the, the, the key question and the discussion for the moment in, in, in European institutions uh, is, is, is more one of, of the architecture of this, of, 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 of this whole uh, supervisory framework. Mm. Uh, for all what is local, local banks, we, we shall continue with the national regulators and the national supervisors. Mm. That is not a discussion. And they shall apply a roadbook that has been uh, discussed yeah. and decided on the European level, and if possible, on the global level. So that's not the discussion. The discussion starts when we are talking about the cross-border banks. Take 40 biggest banks in Europe, yeah. and uh, who have activities in different countries. Who is then uh, organizing this uh, supervision? Uh, the micro-prudential supervision and the macro-prudential uh, uh, supervision. And there, what, uh, there is, a, a, I think, a growing majority inside the European Parliament to go further then what the national states are, are, are doing. The national states are saying, no, no, it worked very well. It, it, it worked not at all in the 27th. So they are still defending a system that didn't work yeah. in, the, in the last financial crisis. So, uh, but there is a growing, I think, uh, majority inside the other institutions and certainly in, in, inside the parliament because this co-decision, eh? it's not only the European Council who is deciding, the European Council and the European Parliament. But financial supervisor, national regulator. George has been talking about regulation, supervision. There is a difference, isn't there? Because the regulator needs huge amounts of money if there's a bailout that's needed or something like this. Do you, can you actually, I mean, when you were talking about raising money, that was more for your investment program than actually to finance a European supervisor. Wouldn't he also need to have a lot of treasury finance behind it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He need that, and, and, and uh, uh, first, if it is on, on, on where we can talk about local banks, then you can say, okay, this is a national state who is doing it, it's their uh, budgetary problem. If you go uh, outside that framework, and it, uh, we are talking about big banks and so, uh, then automatically you need, uh, I think, a financing system that is uh, go beyond the national states, and, and in that respect, I'm always talking about the possibility uh, of this uh, Euro-bound uh, 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 market, uh, because uh, I, I think that uh, there's an enormous opportunity that we are losing for the moment. Um, but I mean, if, so let's look at the British example now. We've had Northern Rock and we've had uh, Royal Bank of Scotland needing massive injection of cash. That would, in future, go to the European level or the national level? No, it's it combined. Yeah. I think that the European level is not capable with the budget that it has for the moment. Or indeed uh, your global uh, level, uh, George. You, you, where does the money come from? Uh, to? No, I think you, you have to be careful. Uh, uh, little confusion of, of terms. You see, you need a, a level playing field. You need the same regulation, rules. the same rules. And the, those rules have to indicate what's the responsibility of the national regulator and what has to be done on an international level. So you can have a, 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 a sort of a standard or agreed uh, accounting principles and regulatory uh, principles, and yet still uh, principle of subsidiarity mm. and have most of it done on the national, national level. level. But say no, you have a no. Banco Santander, a no. Spanish bank with huge interest. This is a cross-border thing and that's a very 
unsolved problem that it would be up to the uh, to the the uh, let's say the FSB to this pro to propose a solution, mm. and that solution could be if it's politically not acceptable to have a, 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 a common uh, treasury. Uh, uh, it could be national. So you could have a regulatory system that is uniform mm -hmm. uh, and very importantly avoids what is called regulatory arbitrage yeah. where, you know, uh, capital would go where it is best treated. Does that the work on a European level? I think that can work on a European level. And uh, the, 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 the problem the, uh, is now uh, can we create this uh, European uh, supervisory uh, framework that uh, for this uh, cross-border banks and uh, what do we need for that? So uh, the, what, in, in the European Council they are, and in the ECOFIN they are still struggling in the way uh, how can we escape to that? Uh, in what way uh, a, 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 a member state uh, is, is, is not applying these rules and is not applying the supervisory uh, system on the European level. Why I think what we need is that we go forward now in saying no, it has to be uh, uh, European. Uh, we don't need four institutions for that. We don't. We need only one institution who is doing the macro and who is doing the microprudential uh, uh, supervision, and uh, and and who is dealing with this cross-border banks. Uh, and not only with the banks, also insurance companies uh, or pension funds, uh, for example, because I don't see why you have to make different uh, supervisory uh, systems for them because they are competing one with uh, each other. And so if you create three agencies with three different types of, of supervision, when in the market they are competing with each other... I mean, basically uh, what you're saying, and I think you're absolutely right, that the La Rosier plan with the four uh, major divisions is out of date because there's so much, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, contagion, contagion between those markets that you really need to look at them as one, and as I think you market. need one. Uh, how, uh, the, the big problem, as I see it, is that on the political level, there's basically big conflicts of interest, and there is sort of the continental block that would like to sort of reign in London, would like to see London sink uh, and their national markets rise. Uh, Do you plead guilty, Guy? No, absolutely <laughs> You are the exception. You are the exception. <laughs> it's true, liberal. But, but let, let's, let's be realistic because there is this, you know, uh, uh, Franco-German... Uh, 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 Alliance, yes. alliance. Uh, I'm nearly saying conspiracy, but we are. <laughs> as a barbarian, I am opposed to conspiracy theories, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I have to alliance or uh, common grounds. Uh, yeah. You know, so there is this tension between. Uh, 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 and the city of London is clearly very worried about this. Very. But at the same time, I do find it fascinating that the city of London, which has got quite a Eurosceptic reputation in recent times, suddenly saying, but we know that actually we need the cross-border regulation. That's exactly the point, yeah. you see. Uh, uh, so, you, uh, on the political level, you have this conflict. Yeah. But on a, on a 
the technical level, everybody uh, you need it. And, uh, and uh, 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 London needs it, because if London wants to be a global center, yeah. it, it needs a glo global market. Okay. And if you don't get there, those global markets are going to break down. And the, the fact that you've got national supervisors, uh, national regulators, who have to, to be concerned with their own economies, will automatically uh, um, uh, lead to national banks, because the Which will therefore have to shrink. Because international shrink, banks yeah. will be told to bring their money home. Yeah. See? So, so... Which was the nightmare scenario for in fact, Eastern Europe. With, with, with in continuing uh, to, to think that national regulation and national supervisory is the solution, automatically you destroy the, uh, the, the, the single market and the uh, yeah. financial market. So it, that it is, is what you are doing. Yeah. So actually, so it, it is lucky. It is lucky that you've got this FSB, which has just been set up, uh, I mean, the European uh, one, with, with pretty good people in it. And they, it ought, and the G20 actually did ask them to, to uh, propose, and I think let them propose, and and uh, then see if we can get the political will to actually to, put it into effect. Yeah, I want to see if I can get some disagreement from the floor. Now, are there microphones, or do people just shout? There are microphones, so yes, here in the middle at the front. Hi, I'm Shimri. I'm a student at LSC. And I have a question for George Soros. Um, you are a strong advocate of democracy. And I wanted to ask, if we want to make regulation of uh, global markets work for the citizens of the world, is there a better way to do it than to democratize the global institutions? How the hell would you do it, George? No, I, I think that... Uh, that uh, Democracy uh, has its has its uh, uh, place, but uh, uh, actually, when it comes to uh, running the economy, it cannot be run on uh, on uh, uh, you know by uh, people voting uh, um, and deciding uh, in, in, through a a. a um, Common, you know, majority vote. Uh, how how it should be? Uh, you do you do need uh, uh, institutions that are not democratic in the sense of uh, being uh, uh, under the direct control of the people. Uh, you do need those. So, but so he, I think, he I is think in one of those institutions. Well, He's in the, the biggest first multinational uh, democratic First of all, you could say maybe some are saying that the marketplace is, is in fact a way of, of voting every day. Eh? If you buy something or you don't buy something, you are in fact voting uh, on the Well, on, I, on I the would market. have to In a certain way, you do. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but, I, you, I, need, no, but I, you need uh, effectively uh, institutions control regulation. It's already, uh, I'm always saying, Adam Schmidt already <laughs> said it in his uh, World of Nations, yeah. uh, yeah. that the market without uh, regulation is, n is a jungle, but it's not yeah. a market. Look, so I think the questioner ex extends democracy 
beyond its proper function. I think you are extend you are here in this moment. You are extending the market beyond its proper function because democracy is one man one one person one vote, and and markets is one dollar one vote or one euro one vote. And neither, and neither of those are appropriate for running. Uh, no, but we, we can say that with the European institutions, what? there is also a democratic element in elaborating, for example, the new uh, supervisory framework. We are discussing for the moment in European Parliament this new, uh, these new rules. These new rules is, are not only decided by a council, uh, Minister of uh, Finances of the 27, no, they are changed, approved by the European Parliament. And in the European Parliament, it are the, the citizens who have elected this, uh, 735 in total, 735 uh, uh, members uh, of that Parliament. But so there is not a direct control democratically, but for this global governance, you can organize an indirect uh, control by uh, the parliaments, for example, in Europe, but also beyond uh, Europe. Yeah, I want to bring Mary in. I just wanted to come back to George saying, I can see for supervisory institutions you can't do democracy but surely they should be accountable to a set of principles that are democratically decided there should be some way in which the peoples of the world can say we want social justice or we want action so to who should decide on bankers bonuses for example <laughs> and should that be or regulation well before we go to bankers bonuses <laughs> uh, look central banks yeah. central <coughs> banks have to have some degree of independence in order to be free from political influences, in order to do their job. You, you, you cannot actually maintain a stable currency system uh, if for the... Monetary hmm? for monetary, monetary policy. policy yeah. Yeah. Monetary policy has to be independent. Yeah. Uh, the same thing applies to regulatory uh, policy. I, I mean, I hate to rely on experts because they, they are you know, very often wrong. But uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, you do need experts, and you do need to have people with professional knowledge. And, and while markets are deficient and need regulation, you must also recognize that regulators are bound to be wrong. In fact, if markets are sometimes wrong, uh, regulators are even more often wrong because uh, they are bureaucratic and subject to, to political influences. And indeed, in and this crisis, the regulators kept missing. I mean, it's the story yeah. you tell me, isn't it? And, uh, and when it comes to having European regulation or global regulation, uh, it's the political conflicts and the, the political uh, 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 sphere cannot agree. You've got the continentals who want to uh, uh, sink London and, and uh, London that wants to preserve itself. So you, uh, if you leave it to politics, you cannot agree. If you leave it to the FSB, you could actually get the, the right answer. So you, you, uh, I have to... Uh, 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 He's not as democratic as you. I'm not as democratic as you. <laughs> but surely Mary. the FSB has to well, of course, it's politics but is not only that. Not only do they have to be accountable, but the the, 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 the states that are uh, would have to agree yeah. to a plan that is proposed by the FSB. But the FSB can be that they look to 
to devise a plan that that you know balances the interests uh, and can be accepted by all parties. I think you see, Guy is perhaps onto a better thing to keep at least to make the model at the European level, which is more directly accountable. Although some would argue that it isn't. Let's take another question from the floor here. Who's over here on the left? Microphone coming just behind you. Um, Richard Schwartz, LSE alumnus. It, it, to what extent is there a problem with effective regulation, whether national or cross-border, by virtue of the fact that the resources available to commit to day-to-day -day regulation are always fewer than the resources available to commit to financial innovation? Well, let's put that to Guy first this time. So I, I think in a certain way, uh, financial uh, innovation is going faster than the regulation can go. That's always. There's the, there is a lack, always lack. But you, you, you can do efforts uh, that this, uh, that this uh, distance between both of them is as small as possible. It's in any way a better situation than the situation we got in this financial crisis where for a number of products there was no regulation at all. No regulation at all. No quality control at all. There is quality control of milk and there is quality control of, on fruit and there is quality control on cars. But there is no quality control on a huge amount of uh, financial products, uh, uh, yeah. for example. Yeah. And uh, I agree that it's not possible that uh, ideal regulation doesn't exist. Uh, but if you have at least some basic principles and uh, basic uh, quality control, then you're better off than the situation we got in this financial crisis. And at the same time, we have to say also that it is not only the crisis of a lack of regulation, also a crisis of bad regulation. Bad regulation. Uh, the, the, the Basel rules, for example, uh, were, uh, were in fact uh, uh, aggravating uh, this uh, uh, crisis in, in, in a certain sense. Uh, but uh, an ideal world, like Popper had always said, doesn't exist. You can improve it, but it's totally uh, 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 useless to try to, to create a, uh, a, a world without problems. That doesn't exist. George, you want to ban credit default swap CDSs outright. I've been trying to get the Financial Times round to your view. I haven't quite got there yet. But why? A whole cash, a huge market. Well, uh, that's a very technical thing, but actually they are toxic because it's people gambling on failure. Well, that's right, and it's like I mean, it's supposed to be insurance against default, right? Uh, but you are selling insurance to to people who who don't to. It's like selling insurance on someone's life to other people yeah. and giving them a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because selling, you know, short selling and repair rate yeah. can actually destroy Absolutely. a company. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's a scary. Uh, you know, so that's the but that's the sort of regulation that we do need. Uh, no, let, uh, it's okay. a very interesting question uh, uh, because, and, uh, and I'll uh, 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 tell you a little sort of uh, private thing. I had uh, two dinners with Alan Greenspan uh, uh, in the course of the financial crisis, uh, just one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, one was in, in, in June uh, 08, um, and he, he explained to me that the benefits of financial innovation uh, uh, in terms of improving productivity are so great that if things fall apart occasionally and the central banks or the treasury has to pick up 
the, the pieces. Mm -hmm. It's a small price to pay for the benefits of financial innovation. And then I had dinner with him in October or November 08, and he said to me at that time that I can't make that argument anymore. Now, since then, I think he has been making it again. But uh, at that time, <laughs> at that time, he said that. So the, the fact is that why financial innovation brings a great uh, uh, benefits, uh, it's not so, it's a, there's a little ambivalence there. Because if financial markets are in fact un inherently unstable and need regulation, then the, the regulators have to understand the, uh, those instruments. They have to know it and they have to, to, to actually uh, um, license it. So, uh, so just as the issue of shares is subject to the SEC or whatever you have here, uh, the equivalent, uh, I think the issuance of derivatives ought to be subject to approval uh, by the authorities. And the authorities need to understand how they, how they work. And that is where things got out of hand, because uh, Alan Greenspan abdicated that. He didn't think he, at that time, because he believed in creative destruction and, 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 and uh, uh, the benefits of innovation, he abdicated that right. So do you think he was quite substantially to blame? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. He's, uh, and let's take a question from upstairs. Any questions upstairs there? Because there are two people with my... Yes, over here. Cheers. Uh, Miko, I'm a uh, student at LSE. Um, you mentioned Karl Popper's idea of uh, piecemeal engineering uh, in the context of um, the regulation. Um, I don't know, I see it more as perhaps a band-aid approach where the economy is like a small child falling over and uh, get, scratches his knee and then we put a band-aid on it, but the gravel is still actually inside um, and it doesn't actually heal anything, it doesn't do anything, uh, the modern forms of regulation. To what extent do you think that we actually need to rethink the way that regulation uh, comes about in society and to what extent do you think we need to rethink the actual structure of the economy? Okay. Sorry. I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a question of, uh, of, of this model that, that, that failed. The model in the sense of the market economy. Uh, what failed certainly was um, the belief that uh, in such uh, a market economy, uh, when there is growth and you can uh, stimulate this growth and there is no, uh, no border on this, there is, uh, and there is also no need uh, to uh, to regulate a number of uh, activities. Or uh, it's more uh, the crisis of those who think that there is auto-regulation in a number of markets. Uh, because uh, uh, when they were talking about, uh, in, in the US, uh, about uh, the real estate, they said, yeah, but there, is, there, is, there shall be a, a sufficient auto-regulation. I don't believe, I, I believe in auto-regulation, but not always. There can be cases where auto-regulation doesn't work, and where you need a state, a public authority, and in the, in the modern world, a, a global public authority, I think, to intervene. Uh, and that's already what, I said it already, what, what, what uh, in the world of nations, Adam Schmidt uh, said, that a market 
uh, needs at a certain point uh, an authority outside the market uh, to define a number of rules. Otherwise, this market is jungle and not longer a market. If, for example, the, the property uh, principle doesn't exist, yeah, you have not a market, you have a jungle. So you need to describe the property principle. Who does it? It is the authority. It is a public authority who do it in the, in the legislation, in the constitution. So that is a good example of why uh, auto-regulation is not sufficient. I was a believer in auto-regulation at a certain moment. I was a believer in, in von Mises and Hayek and, 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 and the fact that, that everything uh, could be organized beyond uh, public authorities. But my experience after a number of years was it doesn't work at the end. At the end, you need not over-regulation, but at least a number of basic principles and to apply them. If I may uh, add to this, you, we have to abandon the idea that markets can be left to their own devices. But we must also rethink our theory or our view of regulation. And we have to recognize that if markets are imperfect, Thank regulators you. are liable to be even more imperfect. So, and in fact, all our constructs, our institutions, ha are flawed in some way because of our in inherently imperfect understanding of reality. But we've got so complicated now in the financial markets that actually you know, even the regulators are out of debt. And certainly the politicians are out of that debt, which is the really scary yeah, but there, are, there are, I think, a, a, a number of uh, uh, basic principles eh, that you can uh, still apply. I, yeah. I agree like that the, the number of the regulator, so when we are talking about uh, CDS, eh, that was, uh, was an example, or the, the basic idea, uh, the, uh, the higher the risk is the higher the profit. That was uh, the, the, the financial crisis. How is mm. it possible? Everybody knows the higher the risk is, yeah, then, then, uh, uh, then... The greater the down yeah. chance of loss, yes? Uh, effectively. Right. So that was something that we have forgotten in this crisis. We thought that the opposite was yeah. possible. I've got a lady in the front row here who wants to ask a question, and I think that'll have to be the last. And the lady would like to apologize because this is a digression. Um, well, then I might rule it out of order, but have a go. Okay. But I think it's, as after all this important theory, is the human and practical level. And it's to Mr. Soros. Uh, by the way, my name is Agnes Kori, or in Budapest, Kori Agnes. Um, you've done some wonderful work in Hungary with your Roma programs and the Central European University and all that. The recession about which you are talking now in a theoretical level um, strengthened and is strengthening currently the fascists in Hungary in a horrendous, frightening way. Is there anything you can do changing your tactic somehow to counteract this horrendous rise of frightening fascism. I think that's he a could, very relevant yeah, question. He to could make. enter in politics, for example. <laughs> 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 in Hungarian politics, there are elections. Right? No, no. Uh, uh, look, we are actually very concerned about it, and we are doing what we can uh, as a foundation and so on. And actually, the current prime minister is, is, is a wonderful person. He's only there for a few months, and he has actually worked wonders. Uh, and, and even uh, in and he the was speaking of, here just a little while yes, ago. Yeah. I mean, he's not a charismatic speaker, but he's a very good. <laughs> uh, uh, so, 
And of course, the recession has had that effect of of uh, creating. Uh, extremist and populist uh, movements, and you have it in England as well as uh, as well as in uh, Hungary. So uh, that's why I think we better get uh, the the financial system in order and 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 bring about prosperity. And hopefully, uh, uh, we will have you know people will behave better. Yeah, that was exactly the question I wanted to ask you, and perhaps this can be the last point, which is my worry is the opposite of can Europe save the world. My worry is that we have this single currency without a central political authority. And actually, if we don't cope with the recession, we will see the rise of fascism and xenophobia and other kinds of phenomena that we've seen in the European past. And my fear is, if we don't do what can you hold together? Yeah, I, I think what we have to develop the fastest as possible is that we have now this currency. This currency have worked eh? because without this currency, there was a monetary mess in Europe. Eh? We should have seen devaluations and depreciations everywhere in Europe, like has happened in in Iceland, like that happened in Hungary. And uh, so, what we need to foster as possible is also an economic and social strategy, convergence policy that is uh, goes in parallel with the monetary policy. Yeah? Because it's it's nonsense naturally to say you have one currency, but we have uh, inside this eurozone different uh, economic uh, strategies that doesn't work uh, at the end. And so, uh, that becomes, I think, the biggest uh, discussion now. Uh, in next year, because everybody is saying now, okay, we need a new strategy. The Lisbon strategy, the so-called Lisbon strategy, uh, has to be changed. First of all, because the name has to be changed, because nobody understands Lisbon Treaty, Lisbon Strategy, at the end, what it means. So we have found a new name for it, that's Europe 2020. But the most important thing is that we change the method in all this. The method until now in, in the economic policy of the European Union is peer review, best practices, uh, and so on. So uh, soft stuff, as the OECD is doing, uh, putting together a number of data by the countries and saying, okay, that is our strategy. That's not a strategy. A strategy that means that we need uh, a more convergence policy, like, for example, in the Stability and Growth Pact, where you are saying to the different countries, that is your goals. And if you reach them, okay. If you don't reach them, that could be the, the penalties. That could be uh, uh, the outcome of that. And that we need to foster as possible. And I think that becomes the biggest discussion in the uh, first month. Shall we stop with this uh, open coordination method of the, of the so-called Lisbon strategy, and shall we come up with a real, genuine economic and social strategy for the whole European Union? I think we leave going. Mary, do you want to wind up? Well, just to say thank you to everybody, and to ask the audience, could you wait while the speakers leave, because Dee has to go in a hurry. So if you let us go first, but first I want we, to say... We, don't we go back there? We afraid. do, but for some reason I was told to tell... We've got to escape. We've got to go yeah. first. And yeah. this is okay. short, clear, and cheap. Well worth <laughs> <laughs>